Tanaka, recently of the Tokyo Giants, knocks himself cold for the second time this week. Maybe in Japan that's actually better than catching the ball. Personally, I think he's just trying to get out of the lineup. Good morning, and welcome to episode 370 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined by Sam Miller. Uh, So today we're going to talk about the news that we have been foreshadowing and expecting to happen for some time. It it did happen today. The Dodgers signed Sean Figgins. I actually knew that joke was coming as soon as we started talking. (laughs) Yeah. I got you. (laughs) (laughs) the Yankees signed Masahiro Tanaka uh, to a large contract, which we knew it would be, but uh, I don't think we knew that it would be quite this large. Um, it is seven years and $155 million, technically, I suppose, although uh, much as there was with the Clayton Kershaw contract that we talked about last year, there is an opt-out clause, which will allow him to opt out after his fourth season. And, of course, there's the $20 million posting fee on top of that. And there is the money that the Yankees will have to pay above the the 155 because they'll have to pay more on every contract because they'll be over the luxury tax threshold. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I don't know. Not to mention the cost of all those uh, limo trips for his wife from (laughs) Japan to New York. I don't know how they're going to figure those out. Um, Call back to yesterday's show. Yeah. Uh, His wife, I guess, was okay with coming to New York, it turns out. Um, So uh, it's a lot of money. I don't know exactly what the amount would would work out to if if you added in all those other factors. And you also figure that if uh, if they were willing to pay him this much per season over that many seasons and also give him the opt-out clause, as we discussed last year, the opt-out clause theoretically should favor the player, not the team. And so uh, presumably they would have been willing to pay him even more per year if they hadn't had to give him the opt-out clause. So it's a lot of money. Uh, I don't think the, the destination is surprising. I'm pretty sure when we talked about it, I I thought he would end up with the Yankees, or maybe I'm just imagining that. Um, I think that's right. I think you thought he was the Yankees, and I think I thought he was the Cubs. And I'm still surprised he's not the Cubs. To me, it seems like the Cubs should have just spent whatever it took. Like To me, the Cubs, even more than the Yankees, probably should have just figured the money doesn't matter Mm. and signed him. That's what I I think. think. I think the Yankees have more incentive to sign him. Um, That's because you're you're in a 2014 mindset. I'm in a 2016 <laughs> mindset. Uh, yeah, but 2014 is here right now. Yeah, but you're not going to be able to. It's not like there's 30 awesome pitchers who are going to be available between now and 2016. So 2016 might as well be here. It's it is equally here. In, sure. I mean, well, it's not equally. It's not equally in here, but it's comparably here. But there will be other good pitchers available. Yeah, not not really. I mean, like like four of them, and all of them flawed, and half of them costing draft picks, and you know, old and going to cost too much anyway. That like I I think you could you know maybe make the case that 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 uh, there isn't going to be a better deal than overpaying for Tanaka for 2016. Hmm. 
I mean, sir, and not only that, but I don't think that the Cubs only need one awesome pitcher for 2016. I think they'll probably need three. So uh-huh. just start collecting them. It's going to be hard when they decide they want to when they when when all their top five prospects are studs and they're like now's the moment. It's going to be hard to get all the awesome players they need, or maybe it won't be. Maybe that lesson of the Dodgers is really easy. Uh, yeah. Well, I I mean I think that uh, for the Yankees Tanaka. At least there's a there's a fairly high probability that he could make the difference between them making the playoffs and not making the playoffs, or at least uh, I think that he I, I don't know I think you could you could defensively say that they should be the wild card team now maybe uh, whereas I don't think I could go along with you having said that yesterday um, and. I don't know, given given the fact that they missed the playoffs last year and they've spent a lot of money to try to make the playoffs this year and we've talked and I've written about all the incentives that, that they have to make the playoffs more so than any other team. Uh, and they really needed a pitcher and they needed someone who was not ancient. Um, so he, he fits them fairly well. Yeah, um, I... I agree, and I also, if the Cubs had signed him, I could have very easily said that the Yankees should have overpaid for him, and mm-hmm. that how could they let him get away? I mean, it, the, there which are there are very we, strong incentives, right? For which for, for all we know is how he ended up making this much money. Did, I haven't it, really it been monitoring. Be. Have we heard anything about what other teams offered? No, I've only heard uh, all I all I heard is that the Angels did not make him really any offer. In fact, they did not make a formal offer, even though they were uh, spoken of as one of like the four finalists uh-huh. as, as recently as a few days ago, which uh, is funny. Um, and the Astros offered him more than $100 million, which means that uh, they actually, you know, that they, they didn't, well, I don't know. They probably knew that wouldn't be enough. Um, but it's not, it's not, it's not not making an offer. Uh-huh. Uh, well, Ken Rosenthal, I think, tweeted that the the Yankees offer separated them. Uh, he said Yankees separated themselves on Tanaka, but not by much. Uh, yeah, I've, what I have found in these situations, I, I feel like we might have spoken about this with, um, I don't know, Jose Abreu maybe, where uh, the, the Cuban player with the White Sox signed. Uh, where you basically have absolutely no idea how good the guy is, and it's like a total mystery of like whether he's actually going to translate and you know what his skills are going to do in the major league level, and then ten teams all bid within a million and a half of each other, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is what it was like with Abreu. So I uh, I was fully expecting to have uh, three months of who knows what he is and some scouts saying he's an ace and some people saying he's better than Darvish and other people saying, yeah, he's a number three maybe. And, um, and yet at the end of the day, I figured there would be 10 teams within $10 million of each other. Mm-hmm. The, the thing about the Yankees and I, I, I didn't really dig into this topic much today. So, uh, you can educate me if I'm way off on this, but so this puts them over 189. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they, they might've been over anyway. Uh, oh, it's kind of unclear. It, I mean, it it seems like we've heard many different people calculating where exactly they are at different points in the, the offseason and getting to different answers. But 
my understanding of it was that they either were over it or were likely to go over it anyway, uh, oh. but that this made it a sure thing. Well, all right. Never mind. I was I was just going to say, because my impression of the 189 is that it, it was like a huge, like, I, I don't, did you ever get a, a, a sense of like what the difference is between 189 and 190 for them? Because in my head, I, I, I never really, uh, uh, I don't know if I ever knew that, but in my head, I was sort of imagining that this was like a $50 million windfill, windfall for them. Yeah. In, so the figure I have in my head is $40 million, and I don't know okay. how it got there, but I'll assume that I read it at some point. Um, and so and that I, would, that would basically mean, I mean, if that were the case, and I, I guess we're, we're saying that that maybe, or probably wasn't the case, but if that were the case then the Yankees not only outbid everybody, but you know, de facto outbid everybody by $40 million. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If that, if that were the case, but. And so, so I wanted to bring up the 189 thing because in retrospect, it seems like such a strange, strange story that we've been talking about this for a long, long time. I mean, this has been, this has been discussed for years now uh, that this was part of the Yankees long-term plan. And, and maybe I guess they never actually guaranteed it. They just said it was a goal, but it came up over and over and over again. And if you think of just how many articles were written about the 189 and how many tweets about the 189 and how many times we talked about it on the podcast, and it all seems so silly and like such a waste in retrospect. And I, I wonder, I mean, first of all, the, it was always strange, really. It was strange from the start that the Yankees would set any sort of limit on themselves. Even, even if it was $40 million or $50 million, it seemed sort of strange that they would make such a big deal about it that it would be public knowledge that this was what they were doing, that they would be willing to not sign a free agent, to to risk not making the playoffs. Just, you know, based on, on some of the research that's out there about what cost not making the playoffs comes to for the Yankees or how much they stand to gain from making the playoffs, it seems like it wouldn't even save them that much money overall if if they were to to miss out on the playoffs because they were trying to stay under 189 it seems like it would be probably a a counterproductive thing or at least not much of a a net gain for them and the idea that that really any yankee fan was interested in hearing about how the yankees wanted to stay under 189 always seemed like a a strange thing like that was never going to be something that fans were we're going to be totally on board with because fans know that the Yankees make money and are worth many, many millions or billions of dollars. And fans are not going to be particularly sympathetic to Hal Steinbrenner's desire to skimp relative to what they've paid, uh, spent on payrolls in the past just to save a certain amount of money. So it always seemed like a, a very strange thing and clearly was not was not uh, an ironclad goal that they had to stick to because they didn't. Not only did they not, not only did they not stick to it, but they they didn't stick to it even after getting rid of A Rod's salary and letting was, Cano go. Which was a huge. I mean, the A Rod thing was a huge, huge, huge boost to this mm-hmm. effort. If they hadn't, if they hadn't been able to to shed that, they wouldn't have even been close. Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah, losing losing Robinson Cano, but you figure that 
you know, either this or Ellsbury is essentially, mm-hmm. they signed Ellsbury before, right? But they, uh, you know, you might, you might argue that this or Ellsbury was kind of the alternative to that because mm-hmm. the figures between what they offered Cano and what they paid these guys is, you know, fairly similar. They might've just had like that kind of slot. But anyway, so you're the guy who used to be a, a high-powered Yankees executive. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> why? Why did they? Tell me. You are I, the expert I would go to. I don't know. I I assume that at some point uh, this was actually a goal that they intended to stick to because if it wasn't, then I, I, I can't see what possible benefit they would gain from even bringing it up unless it was some way of lowering expectations and conditioning fans to expect them to spend a certain amount and be a certain degree of competitive just in case they didn't get to that point. But they're the Yankees. When have they ever used lowering expectations as as a, a strategy? So I, I don't know. I, I assume that at some point someone thought this was a good idea, whether out of just greed or or whether they thought maybe it would force them to to spend more efficiently and build from within somehow or whether they miscalculated the cost of of not making the playoffs because of this there must have there must have been a legitimate reason at some point but it seems like it must have been misguided whatever it was if they didn't think that salaries were going to go up as much and that they could maybe have filled the holes that they needed filling, you know, for, you know, mm-hmm. 20 million less per player, maybe it would have been more realistic. Yeah. Even so, uh, if they, you know, and also if they hadn't gotten Tanaka, I mean, they didn't know they were going to get Tanaka. Maybe it was like the situation was that they were, you know, willing to go in on this guy because they thought he was a special talent, but you know, what what were their odds realistically? Like one in four, maybe one in three that they'd get him. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if the Cubs had outbid him or the Diamondbacks had outbid him or the Dodgers had outbid him, um, then they're close and, you know, then maybe it becomes actually realistic, even if it was, uh, even if they were slightly over, maybe it's realistic that they could get under. Um, so, you know, you kind of want to leave yourself with options and be able to adjust as the situation goes on. Um, and as the players, I mean, they might not have thought they were going to be able to land McCann. Or they might not have thought they'd be able to land Ellsbury or uh, Tanaka. So, um, you know, maybe it's just the fact that the 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 everything came together, like you know Walter White, and that they they rolled with it. But they weren't counting on everything coming together. And if everything couldn't come together, their backup plan was to sort of bite the bullet a little bit. I don't know. What do I? Know? Yeah, I just don't really see. Even if they thought it was realistic, I don't really see what the benefit of broadcasting it ever was. Yeah, because it's not like this leaked out. <laughs> no, this was no, this was not like some internal memo. This was this was on the team calendar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. This was like on the the, the refrigerator magnet. So exactly. I, so I don't I don't know what the the point of that ever was, uh, because it was was never something that Yankees fans would would get behind and support. But- don't you feel, and I can only think of one other example off the top of my head, but I sort of feel like over the course of the last six or seven years, there's been this consistent annual Yankees excuse for why they're not going to spend money. And it always feels like they have some, it always feels like they have some reason 
for agents to downplay expectations. And we all, we usually see right through it. Mm. The example that, of course, I'm thinking of is, is Bubba Crosby, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the most famous example. But it feels like they're always going, oh, we can't <laughs> sign this guy this year. And they sign him. And but they're saying for, you know, up until the minute they sign in there, they're saying they're not going to. And mm. it might just be a matter of like, this is kind of how they negotiate. But it feels like the effect, the effect is much, much greater on the <laughs> New York metropolitan area yeah. and the, you know, ticket buying public and the, uh, you know, average New York post buyer than yeah. it is on Scott Boris and Casey Close. Like, it doesn't really feel like those guys are deked. No, I don't. Yeah, I don't think so. And it certainly doesn't seem as if they've been getting discounts on anyone all this time. Um, so, uh, can I, you think of a uh, can you think of a Yankee, a Yankee signing, a Yankee free agent signing? Uh, and this is, I'm not saying that there isn't one. I'm just asking you that you thought was a, a discount, like for a you know a mid mid tier or higher guy that you didn't feel like. Uh, was either market rate or more expensive than market rate, but nobody really cares because it's the Yankees. Uh, well, maybe maybe Kuroda qualifies. Oh yeah, Kuroda. Uh, yeah, Kuroda. Getting him on a one-year deal every year is yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, uh, so uh, okay, and then the other thing. Oh, also, uh, I like how Buster only tweeted that. The Yankees' internal expectation is that they are essentially finished adding this winter. No more pricey free agents. <laughs> there are no more pricey free agents. Just about they have they have already acquired most of them. Um, uh, they could use a fifth starter. I suppose yes, they could. Uh, they could. So the other have thing they is given up, they have and they've given up their you know they've given up their first round pick. And yep. so if Ubaldo. <laughs> Uh-huh. is unsigned in three weeks. I guarantee you that his agent and various blog sites will start talking about how he fits nicely uh-huh. in the Yankees rotation. Uh-huh. And he does. They should sign him. Yeah. Once you're over, once you're over 189, I mean, they're, they're paying a surcharge on everybody they signed, so I guess maybe it doesn't make sense, but now they're over 189. Mm-hmm. And they now they really need to to win this year. They're still not any sort of a favorite. Mm-hmm. They they're soft, I would say, in the back end of their rotation, and they can afford Ubaldo more than anybody else. And the draft pick cost is less to them than almost anybody else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, absolutely, why shouldn't they sign him? <laughs> it would be silly for them not to. Um, it would be. It's disrespectful <laughs> to the game. So I wanted to ask you uh, about Cano in light of all of the moves that the Yankees have made since they... Ben, yes. Ben, yeah. just tell me about Cano in light of all the moves. Don't ask me. You have things to say. You I have thoughts don't. on this. Uh, well, we... we You're have... asking me because you want to swoop in with the answer at the end. Just save me the trouble. Nope. Just tell me the answer. We have discussed in the past uh, those findings by Matt Swartz at BP and elsewhere about how players who are allowed to depart via free agency generally are not as good values for their new teams as players who are re-signed or extended and stay with their original team are for that team, uh, which would suggest that teams have some insight on the players that that they've seen playing up close, uh, and they have 
some idea of how they're going to age or something about how they will perform that another team might not know. And so we've talked about how that might make us more or less confident about a player who stays or goes. So uh, so when Cano was allowed to leave, that was sort of my, my first thought about him, that, uh, that that made me less optimistic about him. Even before Fat Cano appeared, um, the fact that the Yankees would let him go, despite clearly needing a, a player of Cano's caliber, sort of surprised me. And uh, now, having seen them spend hundreds of millions of dollars since letting him go, uh, after electing not to spend hundreds of million dollars on him, are you especially pessimistic about him or not at all? Because, uh, I, I mean, you could say, I guess, that they uh, just weren't willing to go 10 years, that that somehow made it different from, say, signing a really old Carlos Beltran to three years and also a Ellsbury to seven years, which you could kind of add up to 10 years if you wanted. Um, and Tanaka for seven years, but really probably four. Uh, does it does it make you think that they really don't think he's going to be good? Or what? Because they, yeah, I mean, okay. they, they still don't have a second baseman, really. First, I would just like to uh, pause this conversation for a minute and, and uh, go on a slight, uh, slight, slightly different direction okay. before I forget. Uh, we've talked a lot recently about the uh, the fat ball player photo <laughs> phenomenon, uh-huh. and we've never talked about skinny ball player mm. phenomenon, and now mm-hmm. we have skinny Sabathia. Yes, we do. Uh, where he kind of looks uh, haunted. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, is skinny is skinny player this the exact same genre, or is it a slightly different genre? Um, well, it sort of fits into the best shape of his life genre. I think it's mm-hmm. I think it's different. It is different, right? Because nobody's trying. Generally, nobody's trying to get fat. And so the question is whether the photo is lying or not. Yeah, right. Whereas uh, everybody is trying to get skinny, and the question is whether it will matter or not, mm-hmm. more or less. Yes. All right. Uh, you know, I think once you get to a level like Cano, there's really virtually nothing that is not known about him. I would say that the clubs, the home clubs, uh, the you know, the, his his controlling clubs' informational advantage is minuscule. There's very little about Cano the person that is not known because he's a superstar. There's very little about Cano the player that hasn't been discussed and that isn't apparent to all who see him. And you get into a, um, you, you start talking about contract terms that are themselves prohibitive. Um, you know, almost, almost literally regardless of player. Um, and so I would, I would say that with Cano, I don't take that as, as a, I mean, their, their, their lack of interest in him, uh, or their their lack of sort of interest in negotiating aggressively with him mm-hmm. was was curious, and it was sort of reminiscent in a lot of ways of um, the Cardinals with Albert Pujols. Yeah, um, and you know the Cardinals with Albert Pujols, they they turned out to be just just right. Although, except that it's, in that case, the Cardinals had all of this young talent that they could get cheaply to replace Pujols's production. Whereas the Yankees oh, well, just let a super expensive guy go and brought in other super expensive guys. 
Yeah, and also with the Cardinals, Will Leach writes in the uh, in his in his essay for the BP Annual this year uh, that in fact it's a little bit of revisionism, the idea that the Cardinals were planning on not not having pools. That in fact it's very clear if you look at you know what they uh, they how they built their team and what they were saying going into it that they were totally intending to sign him and that everybody else was intending for them to sign him mm-hmm. and that it was likely just as much a shock and kind of against their interests uh, or their perceived interests that they didn't sign him, um, that the Angels simply got crazy. Um, so, um, you know, uh, which was what I was going to get to. That, uh, it's, it's hard to know exactly how clubs assess their players in such situations because, as I said, the dollars and the years themselves become more important than the player. So um, it is curious, though, or interesting, I guess, that the Yankees, you know, scoffed at the, at the very notion of going 10 years for Cano and, um, I don't know, maybe even nine, who knows, maybe eight, uh, and yet seven for Tanaka, where, I mean, what do you think the equivalent is? Is seven for a pitcher equivalent to 10 for a hitter? I guess age age is significant, but on the other hand, Tanaka has never pitched in the majors, so that's significant too. But just generally speaking, broadly speaking, yeah. uh, what is the equivalent of 10 for a player, for a hitter? I think that's reasonable, right? Because we were talking the other day about how no one really goes beyond seven for a pitcher, and no one really goes beyond ten for a position player, except uh, Vado maybe was like twelve, buying out some Marbiers or something. Um, so that seems like the upper limit for both. So you could say that they're equivalent. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. I forget. Did that answer your question? Did that answer your question? Uh, so it's curious. It, it's curious. It's a, uh, It's not that curious to me. Mm. I mean, look. Hey, look. What's curious is their the way that they presented themselves in public. But we already established with the first eighteen minutes of the show that they have no discipline with the way they present themselves in public, and everything they do is insane. <laughs> public public presentation wise. Uh-huh. So it's it's no it's no more curious than the whole 189 thing so i just think that they're hard to get a read on Mm. publicly Mm -hmm. and uh that there's nothing particularly about them losing cano that suggests anything to me about cano Mm. although it is uh we've talked a lot about and also written about how it's like it's just no fun or pointless to analyze money anymore because it just seems like every team has a ton of money and splitting hairs over whether they overpaid by a million dollars or something just really isn't all that interesting. And so when the Yankees signed Ellsbury, I sort of wrote, well, it's the Yankees. They can sign Ellsbury if they want because they can afford it. Um, And people have sort of said the same thing about Tanaka. But if you you say that the, the unwillingness to go to 10 years for Cano was actually a real thing, then that would imply that money does matter on some level to the Yankees, right? Because if they were willing to, you know, if they thought he was a bad bet, but they had all the money in the world, uh, they would just go to 10 years anyway to keep him. So there's some sort of constraint somewhere. It's hard to figure out exactly where it is. Uh unless they just genuinely didn't want him around anymore, which seems difficult to believe. 
Very difficult, knowing what we know about Cano, which is mm -hmm. everything. <laughs> Uh, and I was going to say that uh, it seemed to me like the Yankees are a very volatile team or a, a very high beta team as put together in that they have an extremely old offense, as I wrote about recently. And the older the offense, the, the higher the injury risk and the, the greater the potential for the team to turn out like the 2013 team did. And then there's the pitching staff, which is a 39-year-old guy and a I guess going to be 33, 34-year-old guy coming off his worst year, and Tanaka, who has never pitched in the majors. And then I started to think about this statement that he has never pitched in the majors, which has been repeated often. And I'm kind of questioning whether that really uh, increases the uncertainty to any extent. I think it, I think it does for us, uh, because we haven't really seen him pitch outside of YouTube clips. And we haven't been able to look at his pitch FX info except for the 30 or so pitches that we have. And we haven't been reading blog posts about his peripherals for the last few years. So we feel like we don't know him and he's a mystery and he's a black box to us. And all we know is, is some videos and some GIFs and maybe what some scouts have said. But if you're one of these teams that was a finalist for him, uh, or if you're the Yankees... I would I would guess that you would feel comparably confident about your evaluation of him, um, just just about as confident in that as you would about someone who has pitched in the majors, say Ubaldo Jimenez or Urban Santana or someone like that. At this point, you've been scouting him for years. Uh, you probably have as much video as you want. You probably charted his pitches in many different starts. You know his stuff. You've inquired about his makeup. I would think that you know just about as much about him as you would about any pitcher, except maybe, I don't know, if you're... I, I guess it introduces some extra uncertainty just if you're switching continents. Uh, there's no way to, to predict how comfortable a player will be having done that. Uh, because he's never done it before. But for the most part, I would guess that a team that's spitting 7 and 155 on him feels no less uncertain about that than they would uh, spending a comparable amount on a domestic pitcher. Would you agree? Well, Ben, I think your point that teams have, have a lot more knowledge about him than we do is fair. I think what you started right. by saying is that the, there's less the, the gap has to be bigger between our knowledge and the team's knowledge for a player like Tanaka than yes any other I, any other I, free agent I think it is a good reminder that the Yankees yes have spent months on this guy uh, and we haven't in the same way so I think that's a good reminder I think what you started saying in that paragraph was that there's less volatility but what mm -hmm. you ended up saying is that there is less uh, well, I guess you were saying that he's not a worse value for it. And I would say that the, the latter part is true. I think that teams are capable of uh, rationally um, uh, assessing the risk. Uh, but I think that the volatility is definitely greater than mm -hmm. with uh, Ubaldo Jimenez or any maybe not Ubaldo Jimenez. You tricked me by introducing Ubaldo Jimenez into the conversation. <laughs> uh, but, but then the typical pitcher... I think there is a great deal more volatility, but it goes in both ways. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, uh, you know, Koji Uehara is the best reliever uh, other than Craig Kimbrell in the world. And Hiroki Kuroda is way better than, you know, almost. I mean, Hiroki Kuroda has been as good as David Price since he joined the league. So the volatility goes in both directions. But I think there is a great, great deal of volatility. I would say that Tanaka has more volatility than the average pitcher. I would say he has less volatility probably than Michael Pineda. Uh, yes, I would agree with that. Um, okay. And, uh, other question I had was, do you think, uh, what effect, if any, do you think that this has on a remaining starting pitcher free agent? Is this, uh, completely, uh, a separate matter because it's, it's Tanaka and he's, uh, in a different circumstance or is the fact that he made this money, uh, suddenly inflating the value of other pitchers who are still available. I don't. I don't really feel that way. I mean, that wasn't my first reaction, so mm-hmm. probably not. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I. I don't know. It's hard to imagine Jimenez or Santana or someone pointing to this contract and saying, "My client should make this much because Tanaka made this much." Uh, it just seems too different. Although I guess you could make that uh, more volatile argument if you wanted to, and it would I think it would be yeah. convincing to you. I think it arg if it arguably mm, in in a I, I don't know this doesn't make any sense. I was gonna say it might increase David Price's trade value, <laughs> but of course everybody I mean like. Already, people knew that only one team was going to get Tanaka. So I don't know if it increases it, but it feels like it could. It feels like mm-hmm. there's a bunch of teams that, I mean, Price is the only guy on the market who's going to fill the Tanaka-sized hole that you've built in your dreams. <laughs> yeah. So if you're the if you're the Diamondbacks, for instance, or the Mariners, for instance, um, and you know, you're just you're 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 looking around at what's left, and none of them look like what you built yourself up mm-hmm. toward. So I could see that. RJ sent me a funny thing today about uh, David Price, which isn't going to sound funny when I read it, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to read it anyway, even okay. though it'll probably make him mad. He said Friedman's going to call up Towers. Quote Tanaka sign with you guys? No. Oh, sorry, I was busy doing a deal. Hey, when was the last time you made a deal, Kevin? <laughs> so, uh, he thinks that the he thinks the Diamondbacks are gonna go crazy for price. Hmm. Uh, all right, and last last thing, uh, a comment on RJ's transaction analysis today was uh, basically an effectively wild listener email, although mm-hmm. the commenter did not did not know it. Uh, so this is a comment by BP reader Adam Hobson, who says, So say next year Scott Boris had another Steven Strasburg type, near guaranteed ace, coming out of college at age 21, near MLB ready. Mm. W- would it be better for them to play by MLB rules, take $8 million as the top draft pick, spend a year riding buses in the minors, now they're 22? The team will then plan the call-up to push the ARB clock back a year so they don't reach arbitration until they're 26. Three years of arbitration gets them the free agency at 29, heading into their age 30 season. They've made some nice money along the way, for sure, but they've waited nine calendar years to make the real money. Or would it be best to go play in NPB? 
making a tad over $1 million a year for four years until they're 25, then have the team post them, the team will make $20 million, and they can negotiate at 25 as an almost free agent. Maybe there's some rule against that, but I can't help but feel that at some point we're going to lose three or four years of a star as they try to beat this MLB system designed against them. Uh, I don't know. I, it, I, sure. <laughs> I, have, I don't have my calculator it's, with me. It's allowed. I, I don't think there's a rule against it, but I like uh, the idea. I don't. I like I'm not the ready, idea. I'm not, yeah, I'm not ready to do the math. I don't want to. I don't want to express disinterest in the idea. I just am not ready to do the math. Uh, mm-hmm. But of course, that you know, that guy could, um, you know, sign an extension uh, mm-hmm. after you know a year, like. Matt Moore, or he could sign an extension after four years and, you know, get paid early. I mean, he still gives up those three years of of money-making ability, and he still gives up, you know, the, the leverage during his ARB years, but, mm-hmm. he, you know, he could get guaranteed money well before the six years. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's true. It's a good question. Let's, let's dig into it. Let's do it. Let's talk about it someday. Yeah. I asked... Uh, Josh Kuznick about it, the agent who's written some stuff for BP, uh, whether that's something that that he thinks an agent would ever consider. And he said uh, it could happen, but it won't ever happen uh, because who would turn down $16 million guaranteed for $4 million guaranteed? Then he said, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, it seems a lot. uh, Sorry. Well, he also said. He also said, remember that Bryce Harper, Bryce Harper almost went to the Dominican Republic at age 15 so that he could be a free agent at 16 and that that idea was dismissed after Scott Boris did his research, which I did not recall. I didn't recall that either. That would have been interesting. Yeah. That'd be a good book. If you wanted to write a novel, that's not a bad premise for a novel. <laughs> uh, well, I, I do want to someday. Uh, yeah, but you want to write a novel about, you want to write a science fiction novel. Well, it could be science fiction. Uh, how is your novel going? How many have you started? <laughs> I haven't started any. You've literally never started a novel in your life? No. If well, I, first of all, I'm not gonna that's s- crazy. I wouldn't start one until I were convinced that I could finish it. I know, but fifth grade, you didn't start uh, one in fifth grade? Eh, not that I recall. I don't know. I wrote stuff, but not a novel. Interesting. Uh, second, I forget what. Yeah. What, what were you gonna say? I, I can't remember. I can't remember anymore. But what? Uh, what Something I was about the say, sixteen million guaranteed for the four million guaranteed. Yeah. Well, what I was gonna say about this ja- Japanese thing is that it would make much more sense for a high school pitcher. You know, a guy graduating high school mm-hmm. than a guy graduating college. Because mm-hmm. the guy graduating high school has got three years before he even starts the six years. Uh huh. Right. Did, was that part of the premise? The part the premise was Strasburg type. I was imagining yep. a college guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he said college guy. Yeah, but if you're talking about a high school guy, by the time the four years in Japan, it's four years in Japan. E, well, I I don't know that there is is there a specific number of years. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Well, yeah. if it if it were four years, then you'd basically would be Mark Appel, and you'd be a free agent, which would probably be hugely profitable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. You know, pretty much the answer to all, it seems to me that the answer to all of these amazing schemes that people come up with and that sometimes we come up with is that baseball would outlaw it as soon as you tried it. 
Yeah. Like, uh, they would just outlaw it on the fly. It wouldn't even be like one person would get away with it. They would just, on the fly, they'd just outlaw it, and then they'd, they'd investigate you, and then they'd, they'd have their, uh, they'd, 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 they'd threaten to sue you until they'd, they'd, they'd break you. I don't know. Boris can't be broken. Boris has found and exploited some some loopholes in the past before they were closed, as I recall. True. Um, Yeah, true. All right. uh, So that's enough for today. If you were planning to email us that question, you no longer have to. But uh, we would welcome other questions for our email show tomorrow. So please send them in uh, before late Thursday night, and we will get to them on Friday at podcast at baseballprospectus.com.